So the Gospel of Luke is all about Jesus. And he says, I want, he, he investigates. He's a doctor. He checks resources and, and eyewitnesses. And he says, what is the story about Jesus? And he writes it down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So Dr. Luke investigates the truth about Jesus and then records it for us. Now with that in mind, let's turn to the very last chapter, knowing that it is his intention, Luke's intention, is to explain what is most important to know about Jesus. So in his final chapter, he tells about the first, what we're going to find in chapter 24, he tells about the resurrection, which we're going to deal with in a couple weeks as we deal with Easter. And then he tells about some of the post-resurrection experiences, people who interacted with Jesus after he rose from the dead. And then just before he tells about the ascension, when Jesus rises to heaven, he includes this short section about what Jesus said to his disciples. If you've got a red-letter Bible, it's in red. And um, it says, these are his, Luke records the parting words, the thing that he thinks are most important, the capstone comments that come from Jesus, from Jesus at the very end of his life and ministry. So it's a summary of what he thinks is most important. So let's today spend our time together looking at, these, at what, what he highlights as the most important parting words that he could say. So for chapter, chapter 24, we're going to look at verses 44 to 49. It says, And now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And we'll stop right there. So right before he ascends, these are the words that Luke records that Jesus said at the very end of his ministry to his followers and to the followers that would come later, you and me. And so, so I can't think of any better way to end this thing than to focus on what is, is the culmination of what Luke started 24 chapters earlier where he said, I want to tell you about Jesus. And now he summarizes it and says, and this is the most important thing for us to know about Jesus. So let's unpack what Luke highlights here about Jesus. The first thing is this. In verse 44, he says, All these things written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. But what is Jesus pointing out here? Remember, these are the most important things he could leave them with. And so it's very, he's very um, definite about what he says, and he selects the things on purpose And the first thing he says is all the things written about Jesus in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Well, what is Jesus pointing out here? Well, Jesus is pointing out that, or Luke is pointing out about Jesus, that Jesus is the eternal plan of God for the salvation of mankind. He's he's making us understand that he's part of a big picture. This one statement about Jesus, that he is the fulfillment of all these Old Testament prophecies, 
elevates Jesus above any other world-changing leader that could ever arise on the world stage. It's saying that Jesus is the plan. That through from the very beginning of the Hebrew Scriptures, God foreshadowed Jesus, talked about that Jesus would come, that he was foreshadowed in not only one place, but throughout all the law and the prophets and the Psalms, that for thousands of years, God had been revealing his plan about Jesus coming to humanity. That this puts Jesus in a category completely alone. No other person in the history of all of humanity could ever be in this, in this category. That, that, the, that the Old Testament, from beginning to end, throughout all of it is woven this picture that someday one would come that would fulfill all these various things about Jesus. Let's put Jesus above any other religious prophet. It puts him above Mohammed. It puts him above Buddha. It puts him above Joseph Smith. It puts him above anybody else. That throughout the scriptures, it says, it projects what Jesus would be like. He mentions, he says, that it projected me or foreshadowed me in the law of Moses. And it's throughout the law. But one time in particular, I was going to point out where, where Jesus is prophesied just in various ways through all these things. In the law of Moses, it said in Deuteronomy, that it says this in Deuteronomy 18, that the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, like Moses, from among you, from your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. So it's a foreshadowing. You say Jesus would come into prophets. It foretold that what the suffering, what the Messiah would be like, that he wouldn't be like they thought, that instead he would be the suffering Savior. Isaiah wrote this, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastising of our well-being, for, our, for the chastising of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourgings we are healed looking forward to a Messiah that would be unlike what they thought he might be like, a suffering Savior. The Psalms foretold many things about Jesus, foretold about his crucifixion, but they foretold about his resurrection. Psalm 16 says, For you will, not be abandoned, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Saying there's coming a time when Jesus would, be, would come, but he would die, but he wouldn't decay. God wouldn't allow his soul to be abandoned, that he would rise again. See, Jesus isn't just some good teacher or a revolutionary. He is the eternal plan of God. The Mosaic Law and the prophets and the Psalms all look forward to his arrival. So in his, in his very last comments that Luke could make about Jesus, quoting the words of Jesus, the first thing he points out is, listen, Jesus is part of God's eternal plan. He wants us to understand that. He wanted to conclude his comments about Jesus to remind us that Jesus isn't just an ordinary guy. He is part of this many thousand year of human history. God has been saying, this is the one that's going to come and deliver you from your sins. So that's the first thing that Luke includes in his capstone comments about Jesus. But let's move to the second one, that thing that Luke highlights. Look at the second thing. It's this thing, is this, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is forever alive. Look at verse 46. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. Jesus is alive, that Jesus died, but death couldn't hold him. Jesus is alive today, as alive today as he ever was and ever will be. Jesus isn't just some dead guy from the history books that we're to learn about. And that's a lot of times what we fall into that idea. Well, he's just this dead guy we think about 2,000 years ago. Luke wanted to remind us 
then and now, don't ever let that thought come into your mind. Jesus is alive right now. Scripture says he is seated at the right hand of the Father and that he is continually praying for you and me. That this morning when when Suzanne felt led by the Spirit to stop the worship service and say, let's pray, that was by the prompting of the Spirit to say, pray with me as Jesus is praying. We need to let that sink in. Um, What was one of the final things that Luke wanted us to know about Jesus? Jesus is alive right now. Now, he is alive and he is active in our lives and he is available to us. And as a Christian, um, you are not following some religious beliefs. You are following, walking in step with a living Savior. And that, when you grasp that reality of that, when it goes beyond just some idea to, to reality, it breathes life into your walk with God. It breathes reality into your life, that Jesus is really alive. Think how it changes how you pray, that you actually understand you are praying to Jesus who is alive and is listening. You know, this lets us know that it's in our life. It's never us against the world. You ever feel that way? Kind of like me against the world. You know, job is tough or family is tough, and you just got to say, I just got to grit and bear it. It's me against the world. That's never true. When you're a Christian, that when because Jesus is alive and you're his followers, it's you aligning with your living Savior who is redeeming and transforming your life and the world around you. He has a plan. He's alive and he's working out a plan. He is working out his plan and we align ourselves with his very real ongoing activity that Luke wants us to know. He is alive. He's not some dead guy we're going to be looking back to and say, wasn't he a great guy to learn from? He's saying, no, don't ever forget. Jesus is alive to, as alive today as he ever was and ever will be. So what's the next thing that Luke wants to make sure that we know about Jesus as we wrap up this gospel? Third thing is this. In the name of Jesus, it says, which means by his authority. When the Bible ever says in the name of Jesus or in that person's name, it means by their authority. In the name of Jesus, repentance for the forgiveness of sins is available to everyone. Look at verse 47. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Listen to what Jesus is offering. And I think sometimes we misunderstand forgiveness. This is what he's saying. Forgiveness, or everyone, is forgiven. When Jesus died on the cross, what what were his final words? It is finished. Through his death and resurrection, he defeated the curse of sin and death that enslaved mankind and kept us bound in sin. In that moment, all of humanity was forgiven and God no longer holds our sins against us. And I know that seems hard to believe, but it's true. And I want us to see somewhere else in the scripture where it expands on this idea a little bit because I think it's going to change your idea of what the Christian life is and how you communicate the Christian life to other people. 
So flip in your Bible over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and have an open mind here to what is God by the Spirit, this time through the Apostle Paul, saying to us. Chapter 5, let's start in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled, reconciled, doesn't say could reconcile, or is reconciled, reconciled, it's done, us to himself, through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So he said he reconciled us, and then he gave us the ministry to tell other people about reconciliation. Namely, verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he was committed, has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for God, for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Look what it says. God is not counting people's trespasses against them because Jesus paid the price for their sins. Now, we have an idea a lot of times that God is, is up there and he's got this big account against people. It's saying, no, God is not counting trespasses against people. That's the good news of the gospel. That's that the, the message that we are ambassadors of is telling people that in Christ they are Forgiveness, the forgiven, that forgiveness has happened. The Christian message, a mission is to urge people to be reconciled with God so that they can experience the forgiveness that's already been offered to them, that they need to receive it. That's the message we proclaim. God has forgiven the world, and they need to receive that forgiveness Our message is never that people must do something to deserve forgiveness. And sometimes the church kind of got got off on that, the church world. Well, you got to do these certain things. This is no. Our message is never that you must do certain things. There is nothing anyone could ever do to deserve or to earn forgiveness from God. No, we lead people to the living Savior who accepts them already and already says he's forgiven them. And when they come to, when they can, anyone can come to him. That no one is too far gone. That no one is too broken. That no one is the wrong color skin. That no one is too poor. Or no one is, has, has the wrong involvements. All are forgiven. He paid the price. People must simply, it says, repent. That's what he says here, that they must repent. Um, that the message, that, that the, that, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin will be proclaimed. That they are forgiven. They must repent. They need to have a change of mind that leads to a change of action. What's the change of mind? They got to go, wow, in Christ I am forgiven. That he's done it for me. He did it on the cross. He said, it is finished. He already died for my sins. He's already forgiven mankind. That change of understanding then leads to a change of action. 
Now I follow Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. Now I align my life with Jesus. That's the message we proclaim. Sometimes we get it kind of like, well, hey, you've got to come to Jesus, do this stuff. No. Jesus has forgiven humanity. Humanity just doesn't know it. We need to walk into the gift that he's given us. We need to accept the gift of, 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 of forgiveness no matter who you are. God says, I've forgiven you, but you've got to come to Jesus to receive it. He wanted, Luke, writing about Jesus, wanted to end his words by saying, listen, this is the message that you guys have to embrace and you have to share with the world. Then what, what would then be the final thing that Luke wants to leave with us about Jesus? What's the, what's the next thing that he leaves? Number four that he is sending or has sent the Holy Spirit to empower us for the activity of living in the kingdom. Look at verse 49. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. God invites us into his mission of compelling people to be reconciled with God, to accept and receive the forgiveness that he's offered to them, but he wants us to be certain of one thing. You and me, we are incapable of doing any ministry for the kingdom of God without the power of the Holy Spirit. When he talks about the promise of the Father here, he's talking about the gift of of the Holy Spirit. And Acts, Luke is going to explain that. He said they're waiting for the promise of the Father and on the day of Pentecost, he pours out the Spirit, the promise of the Father, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And friends, we need to understand something. We are, no matter how capable you are, you, are, you and I are incapable of doing any activity in the kingdom of God without the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at this. The very last words of Jesus that Luke includes in his gospel is that we all need the power of the Holy Spirit to serve in kingdom activity. Jesus told his 11, who had already ministered in strength and power. They had already gone out with Jesus two by two and and cast out demons and, and proclaimed the gospel and healed the sick. And he tells the 11, do not do another thing until you are clothed with power from on high. And we see it fulfilled in Acts 2, where Luke explains that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost is what they're waiting for, the gift of the Father. Church, this is just as true for us today as it was the day that Luke wrote it. We can only be engaged in the ministry of the kingdom of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. That ministry is you, the ministry that we're supposed to be engaged in is you and me leading our loved ones and our friends into relationships with Jesus so that they can experience the joy of forgiveness and the fullness of life in the kingdom. And that can only happen by the power of the Holy Spirit working through you and me. So just like the 11, and the 11 were joined with the group, so just like the 120 on the day of Pentecost. We need to welcome the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We need to ask for his empowerment in our lives. We need to operate from his power base, not our own power base of personal strength and ability. We need to operate from the power base of God 
We need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And just like they sought his infilling and they waited and they said, God, give me what you got, so must we. Our living Savior promised to clothe us with power from on high when we ask and we wait and we're open to what he has. And I can't think of a better way to end the study of the gospel of of Luke than to welcome the Holy Spirit into our lives, than to ask for the fullness of the Holy Spirit to come into us and fill us and refill us so that we can have the empowerment of the Spirit to accomplish what he's telling us to accomplish, to, to take the message of reconciliation to all the people we know and all the people we love, to tell them, listen, you're forgiven. You just need to accept it in Christ. And I can't think of a better way for us to welcome the Holy Spirit into our lives than to do something tangible that actually includes us saying, come into me. And we're going to do that by taking communion together. That we're going to end our time this morning by celebrating communion together. And I'm going to invite our ushers at this time, if they would begin to begin to distribute the elements, but the, everybody else pay attention because I'm not done preaching. Okay? What I want to do to prepare us for communion, so they're going to start, just start distributing the communion to everybody as I'm still speaking. I want to prepare us for communion by reading a different section from the last chapter of Luke. Luke. So chapter 24 of Luke, starting in verse 13. So as they distribute the elements, just take hold them until we're done. And do your best to keep listening as you're passing them out. Reading from Luke 24, starting in verse 13, and we're going to read this whole section. It says, And behold... Two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had taken place. This is just after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Two of his followers walking to a city called Emmaus. And they were talking about the things that had taken place. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word and in sight of God and all people, and how our chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that is, it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened, but also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart, to believe in all the prophets have spoken, 
Was not it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going further. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when they had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And began to relate their experience on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. Look at this. They recognized, they experienced Jesus in the breaking of bread. Could one of our ushers please bring up the communion tray to me? Thank you, Terry. They recognized Jesus in the breaking of bread. When they were walking with him on the road, and he said he hid himself, thank you. He hid himself, or he was presenting himself in a way that they would not recognize him, and it says that, but in the taking of communion, in the breaking of bread, they recognized him. They experienced Jesus for who he really is. The blinders were removed. And they experienced the reality and the presence of the risen Christ. Remember, he had already died. And this is the post-resurrection Jesus. The same Jesus that's alive today. The same Jesus that in bodily form is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Right now. He's listening to us. He's here by the presence of his Spirit. And they recognized, experienced him by the breaking of bread, by taking communion. It reminded them of the Last Supper when he broke the bread and said, this is my body. And he poured out the wine and he said, this is my blood. Take this in remembrance of me. So in the communion service, we, we can experience Jesus in a way that I don't think we do in any other way. We recognize, we experience his presence as we take communion. And not only do we, do we say, intellectually say his presence is here, but we do something different. We invite him in. And that is what is the essential needed element to being filled with his spirit. We invite the spirit in to our lives. We open up our hearts and we say, I need your strength and your power and your reality inside of me. It's not a one-time deal. It's an everyday deal. We invite the Holy Spirit into our lives. And we're going to do that through communion. And especially we're going to do this in this Lenten season. 
because this is the time that we're, it's a time of denial. When we're, we're trying to say, God, I want it. What's the denial all about? The denial is about taking seriously the death of Christ, what he paid for our sins. And friends, he was so serious about going to the cross that he, you know, he set his mind to go there. Nothing could deter, deter him, and he gave his life. But then after he rose from the dead, he was so serious with his disciples that the closing words of Luke, he said, and now listen, my friends, don't go anywhere. Don't do anything until you've received the gift of the Father, power from on high. And so there's this connection between communion, the recognizing of Jesus, and the invitation to receive the power of the Spirit in our lives. So as we partake in communion in just a minute, we are going to be inviting the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit into our lives. Before we do that, I simply want to say this. At Portview, we serve an open communion. What I mean by that is you do not need to be a member of our church to take communion with us. All we ask you to do is that, that you only do this by saying that either to one of two ways. Number one, I am a follower of Jesus and I'm welcoming him again and again and again into my life. Or you're sitting here today and say, you know what? Um, today's the day that I want to welcome Jesus into my life. Today is the day that I want to say yes to Jesus and say, I'm all in and I need all of you. Because then all of us, friends, what we're going to do today is we are going to welcome the presence of God's Spirit into our lives. So we hold in our hands the bread. They recognized Jesus in the breaking of bread. They recognized that this was the same thing he had done at the Last Supper. and said, this is his body. Take it and eat it in remembrance of him. And friends, I want you to hold that piece of bread in your hand right now. I want you to, I want you to feel it. I know it's tiny, but I want you to feel it. I want you to recognize that Jesus said, take this bread. This is my body, which is broken for you. And when that same thing happened with the two on the road to Emmaus, it was in the breaking of bread that they experienced Jesus. And what we are going to do right now, in just a moment, we are going to say, yes, Jesus, I receive you fresh and anew into my life. And Jesus, the way I receive you is I ask you, Lord, to fill me and refill me with your presence, the presence of the Holy Spirit. So friends, let's take the bread and let's invite the presence of the Lord into our lives. Let's eat together. After supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is my blood poured out for you, for me. 
the forgiveness of sins, for a new covenant. No longer do we try to keep a law, keep sacrifices and rules and regulations to walk with God, but now we recognize we can, we can walk with God, filled with His Spirit, and needing and experiencing His power. And the cup symbolizes and represents the blood of Christ. And we know from Scripture that the Scriptures tell us that, it's, it, that life is in the blood, that the power of life is in the blood. And this morning, we recognize we need the power of God by the Spirit in our lives. And so we hold the cup. And in just a moment, we're going to welcome the healing, the provision, the empowerment of God into our lives. Friends, let's receive the power of Christ as we partake. Let's welcome the power of Christ as we, as we take the cup this morning. Lord, in this moment, We surrender our lives to you and we welcome you in all of your strength, in all of your holiness, in all of your grace into our lives fresh and new. Lord, we want to be full of your presence, full of your spirit. And so, Lord, we open up our hearts and we say this, God. Mold and shape us. Fill us and renew us. Empower us and work through us as we walk with you in your kingdom. Friends, let's stand together. I'm going to close by just praying a blessing over our congregation and then invite you. If you say, you know what, I need to spend some time just, just allowing the Spirit to work in my life, allowing the Spirit to, to, to make His presence known in my life, I'm going to invite you to come and to find a place to pray. I'll stay and pray with you. But let's not, let's not just run away until we feel dismissed by the Spirit. Because I really believe that wrap-up of, of this whole series, the Lord's plan is to give us what we need to walk out what He's asking for us as individuals and as a church, which is to share His message of forgiveness and reconciliation with our friends and our families and our coworkers and our neighbors, and it can only happen by the power of the Spirit. So when I'm done just with a prayer of blessing, 
I invite you to find a place to pray. When you feel dismissed, quietly make your way out of the sanctuary. Have a wonderful day enjoying the Lord. So I pray the blessing that Aaron prayed over the priests. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And we add, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.